Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. This is Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families with your host, Wayne France. Brought to you by Family Care Center, offering behavioral health services for both children and adults and specializing in services for military families and veterans. Family Care Center, our family caring for your family. Now, here's Dwayne France. Hello, and welcome to Inside the Military Mind. My name is Dwayne France, and each week we'll be talking about mental health and wellness for the military-affiliated population. Coming up in today's guest segment, I'll be having a conversation with Molly Wingate, founder and executive director of Poetry Heals. After that, I'll be sharing the Homefront Military Network resource of the week, Angels of America's Fallen, an organization that serves children of fallen military, law enforcement, firefighters, and paramedics who all gave while actively serving. On the beginning segment of the show, I'd like to share some insights into the military mind. Today, I'd like to talk about something that's actually going to come up in the interview portion later today, the desire for some service members to want to go back to combat. If you ask a combat veteran if they had a choice after all of these years if they would go back to combat, you'd probably hear them say, absolutely, in a heartbeat. I hear this from therapy clients all the time. If they called, I would go back in an instant. This may come as a surprise to those who never served, and I certainly don't mean to say that all veterans feel this way. But for many combat veterans, there's often a conflicting desire to remain home with their loved ones or to go back to war. This has to do with the back there paradox that some veterans need to resolve. In a 2015 article in the journal Traumatology, authors Carl Castro, Sarah Kinsel, and Anthony Hassan identified a number of paradoxes that combat veterans experience. Conflicts between two seemingly opposite ideas that are both true. The back there paradox is what I'm referring to, the desire to return to a deployed environment. Further complicating the issue is that for veterans, time in combat was both literally the best time and the worst time that they experience. Previously on this show, I talked about what PTSD is and isn't. It's a diagnosable mental health condition that meets certain specific criteria. With a rate of anywhere from 11 to 20% of veterans meeting this criteria, not all veterans have PTSD. But that does not mean that the remaining veterans are not struggling with some form of adjustment or difficulty resulting from the military experience. When I talk about combat being both the best of times and worst of times, many veterans that I talk to understand what I'm saying. They wish that those who were not in the military were able to understand this as well. Serving time in the military is very much like immersing yourself into a different culture. The military has its own expected standards of conduct, its own spoken and unspoken rules, and even its own language. It can be very uncomfortable to be experiencing situations outside of that culture, which is one of the reasons why veterans struggle with returning to civilian life after the military. What's the problem with just picking up where we left off, using all the skills that we learned to make a better version of the 18-year-old self that joined the military? Because there's something fundamentally satisfying about a veteran's time in the service. It means something. I knew 25-year-old supply sergeants who were responsible for millions of dollars worth of inventory who then got out of the service and found it hard to find a job. 
I knew 28-year-old officers who were responsible for the lives of soldiers in a combat zone who find it tedious to go work in a bank. For some veterans, we tell ourselves that what we were is so much better than what we are, and that's a difficult concept to consider. If we latch on to that idea, like so many veterans do, then we'll be forever looking backwards at the best days of our lives rather than forward. Complicating that is the fact that the best days of our lives were often pretty bad. Out of my five deployments, my first to Afghanistan with the worst, with my deployment to Iraq making a pretty good case. I look back at my time in regional command east with fondness, pride, grief, and even pain. I tell funny stories about the time a pack of donkeys was weaving in and out of our security patrol. I tell stories of skill, bravery, honor, courage. When the discussions about women in combat start, I talk about my driver, one of the bravest women that I knew, dismounting the vehicle behind me just to make sure I don't get shot in the back. I tell stories of monkeys and MREs and stupid movies that we watched over and over again, and I remember how beautiful the country is. We often talk less about the other stuff, the hard stuff, but think about it more often. The bad comes around just as often as the good, if not more so. A veteran doesn't have to have PTSD to experience grief at the loss of a buddy or frustration at the fact that they find it difficult to readjust to society. When veterans leave the service, many of them feel as though they lost their sense of purpose. They were once counted on, depended on, they were good at what they did, and they loved it. They were important, and losing that sense of accomplishment, that sense of importance, is very difficult. So for some veterans who had the best time of their lives in the worst place you can imagine, this can lead to the back there paradox. This isn't something that's just reserved for current veterans either. I have an uncle who was a Vietnam veteran, and when I deployed to Iraq, he said, Take me with you. I can get some now just as well as I could get some then. Forty years after he'd been to combat, he wanted to go back. In some ways, he almost needed to go back. But why is it like this? If we really hate war, why would we do it again? It's certainly not for the glory, because there's not a lot of that. And it's not for the money either, because nobody gets rich in the military. It doesn't mean that we don't love our families. It doesn't mean that we have a death wish. It has to do with the values that we developed while we were in service. There are several reasons that a veteran might want to go back to war. First, it's a place of skill and familiarity. For a service member, a deployment is the end-all and be-all of the reason that they joined the military in the first place. Maybe the veteran said they joined to earn money for college. That's certainly a reason I gave myself. But it very quickly developed into a love for the military and the camaraderie, the enjoyment of it. It goes to the paradox of where we hate war but love combat. Deployments, and especially combat deployments, are a place where we knew how to use the skills that we had developed. What we did was significant, meaningful work. Life could be very simple while deployed. Get up, do your job, get back to base, and hit the gym, the phones, the chow hall, whatever your routine was. Sure, it got boring and repetitive, but we knew how to do stuff and we knew where things were. It was familiar. Another reason that I hear for wanting to go back is to preserve the meaning of sacrifice. It's simply the sense of unfinished business. I was with a group of Marines when we were watching the news coverage of the fall of Fallujah in 2014. There was significant anger. One of them turned to me and said, why did we go through all of that if this is what was going to happen? The fact is, is that many veterans who return home feel as though the true heroes were the ones that didn't return. There's a personal desire to ensure that they didn't live their lives in vain, to ensure that the sacrifice of their fallen brothers and sisters still have meaning. Of course, it has meaning to all of us personally, and if we tell ourselves that it no longer has meaning, then it doesn't to us. We have control over the meaning that we give to things. This may not be a particularly rational or practical reason for a veteran to want to go back to war, but it's still a very powerful reason. These first two meanings are very personal, although they are tied to the next two. These reasons, however, have much more to do with others. 
It's been said often in military places, the reason the grunt on the ground fights is not for the country or the political reasons, but for the people to their left and their right, in front and behind them, because of their fellow service members. The memories of our brothers and sisters are usually the heaviest and most long-lasting. I made it back. They didn't. I made it back because they saved my life. We were a team. We had a bond. We did something important together. Many veterans would go back to combat if their brothers and sisters called them and said, hey, we need you. Again, many of them would be there in a heartbeat. Another reason for wanting to go back to combat exists on a much more theoretical scale. We sacrifice so that others don't have to. This was always a driving force for me. I served in order to provide a life for my children in which they didn't have to. Of course, the one who serves doesn't always do it with the expectation that the beneficiaries of the service will appreciate it. They will still continue to do so. It's ingrained in many service members. We carry the heavy load so that others don't have to, knowing that they would do the same for us. We go the extra mile because we know that we won't be walking alone. It can be challenging for many of us when we consider whether or not we would go back. It's not just nostalgia, the desire to return to the days of our youth. Our reasons for wanting to return are based on values and beliefs. And again, it doesn't mean that we have a death wish or don't care for our families. It means that the words honor, duty, and sacrifice are more than just words to us, and those words don't lose their meaning when we leave the military. So I'm glad to be able to share some of these insights. Agree? Disagree? Great to hear what you think. Share your thoughts with us by dropping an email to militarymind at FCCSprings.com. Today's upcoming interview segment is with Molly Wingate, the founder and executive director of Poetry Heals, a program that takes therapeutic poetry writing to people living difficult lives. Molly is a 40-year veteran of teaching writing. She's taught high school, community college, university, and adult students. She directed the Writing Center at Colorado College for 14 years and is known for her publications and service awards. Poetry Heals partners with hosting institutions to serve veterans, distressed teens, institutionalized, incarcerated, and homeless individuals in our community. Let's get into my conversation with Molly and come back afterwards to hear about this week's Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week. So Poetry Heals is a local organization that hosts creative writing workshops with the goal of helping individuals who have experienced trauma to start to communicate how their experiences impacted them. I'd like to hear more about Poetry Heals. Well, Poetry Heals' roots go back a long way. Probably 2007, 2008, I started trying to get on to Fort Carson. Um, and various things, you know, a lot of people were like, writing? What? You know? And eventually, in 2009, I connected with uh, Donna Finical, who had an organization called Welcome Home Warrior, something like that. Yeah. And so with her, I did a couple of workshops for family members. And I understood that um, just getting a chance, it was a nature walk, and just getting a chance to go out and walk around and write about that felt really good. So I continued kind of wondering when I was ever going to figure out how to be able to work with veterans. And what happened next was I found an organization in Portland, Oregon called Pongo Teen Writing. And they had been doing what I wanted to be doing for 20 years. And, uh, you know, goosebumps, the whole deal. And I connected with them and with some local 
uh, writing tutors and mentors and poets and said, hey, I think we can do this here. Pongo is aimed primarily at teenagers, and I have a big soft spot for teenagers. And um, so we're like, okay, well, we can work with at-risk teenagers, homeless teenagers, LBGTQ, kids in, in the in the system, incarcerated or in that whole uh, challenge. And then also I kept going, but I want to work with veterans too. <laughs> but I was doing what showed up, and that's what showed up first. And we have a project um, that we did pretty early um, in 2016-2017 of poetry and pottery which is an opportunity, a public event. And we bring together um, tourists and residents and homeless people in the Manitou Springs area for lunch and making pots and writing poems. And we've done that for, this will be year five of doing it over six years because we couldn't do it last year, but every Tuesday afternoon from 12 to two. And that was sort of our big project. And the idea, as it grew, we gathered information from our or- this organization in Portland, learned a lot from them. You, they were very generous. A guy named Richard Gold set that up. And um, we're reaching into people I knew as teachers, people I knew as counselors, um, poets and writers, and people who worked with teenagers. And one thing led to another, and we started to put together a program. Eventually, we incorporated, you know, and then we got a board and all that jolly stuff. And while that was all happening, I got invited to a breakfast from the Imagination Celebration. And Deborah Thornton, who is my neighbor, (laughs) among other things, said, I'd really like you. I hear what you're doing with Poetry Heals. And I had done some stuff with her in another way. And she said, I think you should come to this breakfast of people who do arts in the community. And that's where the connection with veterans really happened. And uh, Robin Dahman, who is a nurse for the then Warrior Recovery Center, has a program um, on hiatus, but a program called Cactus for us soldiers and their families. And she invited me in to be one of her presenters and then the military art connection where you and I, Duane, met, um, started up and Poetry Heals was one of the first arts organizations to be providing workshops and one-on-one opportunities for veterans and their families. And, And I think that as, you know, a creative myself or maybe as a writer um, I see the benefit of it so you host writing workshops you mm-hmm. you host a number of different events through Poetry Heals again not just specifically for military and veterans so what are some of the things besides the pottery and poetry so we do? do cactus for example will be a, um, a poetry workshop and we would uh, come in and we'd have a theme and we'd have some prompts and we'd have some poetry games and people would say oh man poetry i don't think so and my response is challenge accepted and i get just about everybody to write a poem before they leave in an hour and part of it is the the fun of it that writing a poem with other people and changing your standards for what a poem needs to be 
um, that gets to be goofy and fun. And I'm all for goofy and fun because my job, as I see it, is to just crack people's hearts open a little bit. I want to help people begin to write the truth about themselves from their heart. And no one's going to do that in a public group with a woman they've never met, but they might laugh a little bit. And they might find that, oh, I can write about things that I don't have to share necessarily. And so an atmosphere, a safe atmosphere comes about. And we make jokes about the English teacher in a red pen, which I was one of those. And we do all those kinds of things to try to make it as low barrier as possible. So we'll do workshops like that in a variety of settings. We'll do it at the Crawford House. Um, which is a home uh, which provides housing for homeless veterans. We will work at Inside Out with LBGTQ plus kids. We'll work at Springs Rescue Mission and do workshops, and that has a little bit of everything. Um, and you know, we've actually worked with active duty um, airmen at Peterson Air Force Base, and we do the same kind of workshop. We may change the theme, I may change my vocabulary, but pretty much what we're trying to do is give people an affordable, accessible, and portable tool for letting off some steam instead of self-harming. You know, and in the case of a cutter, say, you know, in the next time you're thinking about cutting, why don't you write about that first and see what happens? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to try to talk to people about, instead of blowing up, maybe think about, how could I make a haiku out of this sucker, you know? And to give just alternative tools that are enriching and not harming. And that's all we're trying to do. And I think that's really one of the things that intrigues me about Poetry Heals and, and other um, creative expressive arts kind of programs um, is that it's not, you're not trying to get people to do poetry. It's poetry just happens to be the method or just writing in general happens to be the method that you're using. Really, you're, you're trying to help them cope with distress. Exactly. And the thing about poetry is that it's short. I mean, if everybody had time to write the short story of their life or the novel of their life, I'm sure they'd all feel better. But I have people for an hour, <laughs> and I want to do a bunch of different things to kind of loosen them up a little bit. Um, one veteran I work with is um, 80 years old and a terrific writer, and he got blocked. So what I do with him is, like, we brainstorm together. And we say, okay, where's this story going? And how's it going? Well, I want to write a memoir like this. I've never seen a memoir like this. So we talk about the benefits. You know, what's that mean? And we speak as um, fellow writers. So that's one conversation. A high school student whose dad is deployed yet again wants to do some writing. So we talk about what's the easiest way for this young woman to get some writing done. What has she done in the past? What can we add to her bag of tricks? We, what we do changes with everybody that we work with just so they'll have something. I've even created little booklets um, for people to write in, and they have writing prompts and some of the stuff that's on our website, www.poetryheals.org, um, where you can download templates and things like that to work with. So... We want, you know, 
there's a lot of research out there about why poetry helps. Poetry also doesn't require that you get the subject and the verb and the object lined up. You know, you can do magical things with poetry and the play with words and the messing around with words and the, you know, making a pun or whatever. Those are the things that I know how to help people with. That's my gift. That's my superpower. And so I wanted to offer that up as to as many people as would pick it up. Other forms of creative expression are equally valuable. You know, poetry doesn't have the corner on the market, but there are plenty of people out there who would deeply benefit from um, diving into some creative expression. So go for it. (laughs) I don't care if it's beading, macrame, whatever. Go for it. You know, I, I agree. I mean, I, in the veterans that I work with, uh, again, I believe that creative expression, uh, therapy with a little T kind of thing, right? Absolutely. It is therapeutic. You'd mentioned, and you and I had, had interacted several times over the past couple years, uh, and you kind of talk about your journey really wanting to get this in the hands of the military-affiliated mm. population, working with service members, veterans, and their families. So. I'd like to hear a little bit more about what that drives you. You you had started with it and you kind of went away, but then you came back to it. Why the military population specifically is on your heart? Well, my dad was a World War II submariner. Mm-hmm. And he never talked about it. And he was damaged. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a ferocious career and took magnificent care of his family. But he was an alcoholic. He luckily died sober, you know, and that's really great. But, you know, he was corked. <laughs> he was corked. Um, and this, so there's that. Also, I um, am a longtime member of a religious peace church. And I worked... Um, you know, I have been part of a peace movement for 50 years, and I've done what I can to help make it so that we don't go to war, but I've always helped clean it up. And so I've, you know, always had, um, you know, friends who were in the military, and if they were in a bad place, I always wrote to them, like from high school. And I was like, this is, you're doing a really hard thing. And how can I help? And I would send poetry books, believe it or not, to Vietnam. (laughs) And so that's who I am. That's what I'm made of. And so um, the idea of being a writer and having this um, desire to hear people speak in their own voices and speak their own truth and find their voices um, kind of all came together and this program in Portland, I mean, in Seattle that I mentioned, um, Pongo, had already put all the pieces together. I was like, oh, my goodness, we can transplant this, modify it a bit, but bring it to the Pikes Peak region. And now I have access to veterans. The bad news is that we have a lot of veterans with traumatic brain injuries and PTSD. The good news is poetry does help with that. And so I feel like I have a tool t- that I can offer to, to help a whole lot of people. And a lot of them come to Fort Carson, and a lot of them are here. So the opportunity came along, and um, 
you know, and actually thanks to Deb Thornton that she knew what I was doing. I was part of the, the military art connection and other things have come my way too. And so, I mean, Colorado Springs is a military dense community and I, um, I want to support them. You know, I'm not exactly, a, you know, a flag-waving 4th of July type, but when people go out of their way for me, the least I can do is go out of the, the, my way for them. And I think that's that's really one of the things that intrigues me um, and, and really one of the things that's changed maybe over the last 50 years. I mean, I was the son of a Vietnam veteran. I'm a combat veteran myself. Um, but at some point in maybe the mid to late 80s, there was this idea of how do we separate the war from the warrior? Yeah. Uh, and, and really, I think that's what, what you focus on is, okay, there's the war. We're not fans of war. But you're not lumping the warrior, the, the service member, in with that conflict, and you're helping them separately. Yeah, I, I never understood that. You know, my dad was my dad. Mm-hmm. You know, he was very, you know, I didn't lump the war and the warrior at home, mm. and it seemed like a ridiculous thing to do. And the friends that I knew who were in Vietnam, I knew them as friends. Mm. And I wasn't one of those, you know, I mean, I welcomed them back. I was happy they were in one piece. I wasn't one of those. So I've always separated the war from the warrior, and to the extent that they want that separated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, frankly, as you know, I mean, warriors put their pants on one leg at a time, too. Mm-hmm. And so the normal life troubles that come along, you know, I mean, economic de- messes can happen no matter what your day job is and marriages can fall apart and mental illness can happen and drug addiction can happen and being depressed can happen and being anxious can happen and all those things are things that you can write about and kind of get a grip on i mean how many people when they were teenagers especially girls i suspect you know wrote their hearts out you know over whatever was making them crazy. I mean, I've been writing myself to sanity um, forever. (laughs) So it's an opportunity to say, hey, this really works. There's research that really works. There are methodologies that really work. We can do evaluations and we can prove that it really works. And it may sound fluffy and odd, but it's just a way in. Sometimes people take what they've written to their therapist. Mm -hmm. And isn't that like amazing. Other times they just say, thank you, I feel so much better, as if I did anything, you know, I just watched. Um, It's an opportunity to get, it's not a silver bullet, you know, it doesn't resolve all your issues, but it can start. And it, you know, gets that heart open just a crack. And then, you know, people can get in and you can get out and connections start to happen. And you never know what's going to grow from that and i think that's again this idea of why creative arts i think helps uh, when it comes to that is that a veteran doesn't need a very 
good reason to avoid therapy. Any reason is a good reason to avoid therapy. And so them coming in and sitting on a couch in front of me as a therapist is likely not going to happen. Um, but I see the creative arts as a way to get to there. It's a path, right? It's mm-hmm. the it's not going to be directly coming from the veteran to me. But maybe if a veteran or a family member is working with you and it starts to steer, stir up some stuff, um, then they say, I'm already starting to talk about this, and this can help if I talk about it more, which may be a way to get them into therapy. Well, and one of our mentors is um, a, a veteran. He's um, a rip-roaring 24 years old, and he's m- much older than that somehow. But he was resistant. I mean, there's just no way to talk about it, but resistant. And he would make off-color jokes and, you know, things like that. And we're like, okay, whenever you're ready, come on down, you know. And eventually he started participating and then he and and participating regularly in these cactus workshops cactus is creating art can tell untold stories how's that for a military acronym and so they um he was participating in that activity and that was part of his therapy i'm not sure what his injury was uh it it wasn't on the outside and um this was part of his thing and so um, he fell in love with what we were doing, and he really saw that we did crack people open. And he was nominated by one of the counselors and therapists to be a writing, meant to be a Poetry Heals mentor. Mm. And, you know, he could barely sit in the room, you know. He's like, what am I doing here? But the result is that he walks in as a young veteran with you know with his tattoos and scars and whatever else and he is himself and he is a magnet you know people sit like whoa who's this guy i mean they can understand you know the uh, the grandmotherly former english teacher but this guy and so you know one of our challenges is to diversify our staff for all of those reasons but i mean i feel like if Andrew can figure out how to be part of Poetry Heals, he's kind of a, a poster for anybody can figure this out. Oh, that's great. Uh, just as a reminder, you're listening to Inside the Military Mind. This is Dwayne France with guest Molly Wingate of Poetry Heals. Now, you'd mentioned it a, a couple of times. Poetry may not be the first thing that comes to mind <laughs> for combat veterans uh, when it comes to addressing their experiences. But then I think about famous writers who are also veterans, J.D. Salinger, Kurt Vonnegut. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kipling was a Gold Star father, lost his son in the Battle of the Somme. And how have you seen therapeutic writing be beneficial to the military community? Um, how is it broken open? You know, you, you talk about the mentor there, but how have you seen some veterans maybe shy away from the poetry stuff at first and then come back to it? Well, Andrew is certainly a poster child for that. But others as well, um, you know, some people have been writers, you know, and they like, closet writers so this gives them an opportunity that they have more or less been waiting for other opportunities are like well it's coming on mother's day let's be writing something for our moms and you know some people are like well i'm not writing anything for my mom okay well maybe you want to write about that um and then you know we give them occasions and we give them forms to pour their poems into everybody knows lyrics 
and everybody knows a rap. And so you start plugging into those materials, and they start laughing. And they start carrying on, and it's fun. And they're you know instead of sitting at the bar drinking, in the social club, they're over in this corner, oddly, <laughs> writing poems. <laughs> and they're like, well, that was weird. But when are you coming back? And so that's the um, you know a lot of what we see. Part of what it is is that I am not. They're, um, I'm not in the military. I'm not in the structure. They do not have to answer to me at all. However, I am going to look them straight in the face with my little open heart and just wait all day if necessary to get some spark of a connection. So I treat them like a person. Not that soldiers aren't people, but sometimes to be able to take that off and shuck it off and leave it in the corner, I let them do that. In fact, I sort of require that they do that. And that's refreshing. That's an opportunity. So that's, you know, we have to get in the door. And some people, like I said, are people who are writers anyway, and oh yeah, I used to write, and hey, I've got a song or you know, country western song or a rap or whatever, and sure, I want to hear that, and whatever lets us make a connection, I go for it. And all of us, all of the Poetry Heels staff are waiting for that opening, and we jump in, well, not jump, we insinuate ourselves politely and nicely and and try to make a connection it does work and it's i mean it's fast i can get you to write a poem in 15 minutes and you'll be giggling and if you uh, our research our evaluation show us that like 97 percent of the people who participate in a poetry heals workshop feel better when they leave so like what else are you going to do that can do that in 20 minutes? Mm-hmm. You know? So what are some of the things that you do? You've mentioned um, writing prompts on the website, but how do you get a, a you know, tattooed blue streak acronym <laughs> uh, uh, swearing veteran um, to, to write poetry? And, and like you said, it's not one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, right? It's not this idea of what, you know, roses are red and, and, and all that. Um, but what are some of the things that you do to open up a veteran? We, well, we'll I'm, I, one-on-one, I'll be like, why, you know, you seem interested in this. Why are you here? What brought you here? How, you know, what do you, what have you done? What do you want to know? What are your, how can I help you? What, I have a million tools. Which one do you want? So that's one way. You know, if you and I were sitting down and I know that you write, and then I'd like, okay, well, you know, what's making you nuts? And it may be something in writing or it may be something in your life. Okay, well, maybe we write a list poem, like all the ways you would like to you know, change your life, or if veterans were treated like rock stars, how would their lives be? Or, you know, just a kind of spin-off writing prompts um, to see what catches. In a group, we often start with a, 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 a prompt that isn't serious, 
like is intentionally not serious. That doesn't mean it doesn't turn serious on us from time to time. <laughs> but, you know, what would you like in a taco? And people start listing out words and we start writing them down. And then they'll say, oh, you know, this is really silly. And we write down, this is really silly. And whatever they say becomes part of the poem. And by the end, everybody's giggling and carrying on. Sure, there's going to be somebody who doesn't want to participate. But I make a point and make an eye contact with them. And say, would you like to add anything? And if they say no, I do not hassle them. I do not go after them. Nothing. Because everybody's allowed to be in their own space. So that's how I do it. Eventually, I put materials in front of people. I have, um, you mentioned the prompts um, on our website. We have notebooks and notebooks of prompts. And then we just think them up. But we also have fill-in-the-blank poems. We call them templates. And um, one is, you know, if God were seeing my life today, and it has, if God were seeing my life today, God would see in a blank. And, you know, if God saw my life, you know, so it, it with that poem, that template, if I remember correctly, kind of inventories how life has changed and where you are and where you want it to continue to change. So the template forces the writer or invites the writer to explore that area. And so we have templates that encourage people to explore areas. And that um, that opens them up. Well, I was going to say veterans are tough, but so are medical people. I mean, they're just as tough. Because, and firefighters, holy cow. And so that there are a whole lot of helpers and people in service to our community and to our world who take as part of their persona locking it down. And what we know is that they will heal faster from injuries, psychic and, and physical, if they quit locking it down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I work with medical people or teachers, you know, believe me, even teachers, they're very skeptical of this poetry thing. What? You know, and all of everybody, I guess I'm putting veterans in the wider Mm -hmm. group that this whole community relies on a whole lot of people who are, you know, preparing to erupt <laughs> and it would be nice if it was like fissures instead of eruptions <laughs> and so poetry can help and so and that's where uh, i went on the website and mm-hmm. and saw one of the prompts and so i i thought that uh we do a little bit of guinea pig you know because a, a lot of times maybe listeners are sort of hearing this and, and they're like oh, okay yes. conceptually but um but i took one of your prompts and i wrote a poem uh, and I would like to, and maybe we just kind of work through what you do and maybe give the listeners an example. So I um, haven't read your poem because what I usually do is not know what in the world's going to come out of somebody's mouth. I saw that it exists. So what I'd like you to do is um, read the poem. Okay. So uh, the prompt that I used was, uh, one of the prompts was a good day, bad day, right? Mm -hmm. So good day splash bad day. There's a road across the ocean that threads its way through nameless towns, places with forgotten names only remembered in dreams. 
The road is filled with memories, some nostalgic, most painful, a dark spot, a curve, and a draw. The most dangerous place on earth for a single moment in time. Sometimes, as people talk, faint images of the road scroll across my mind. The sound heard on that road and nowhere else in the world echoes in my ears. I get lost in thought and lost in time and recall the closest thing to hell on earth that I've ever seen. Those were the worst of times, but also the best of times. And sometimes there is nowhere that I would rather be. That sounds like a pretty digested experience. Mm -hmm. You know, but I am interested in the, um, the dark spot mm -hmm. you mentioned. So I would say, if we were in a workshop, gee, Duane, there's a lot going on in there. And I wonder if you want to play with images a little bit more. And that dark spot, I don't know what that's made of. Mm -hmm. Would you be interested in pushing on that a little bit? And I think that's, at one point, yes. But to step out of this is I think that's one of the, the benefits of poetry is that I could put that out there and it could mean a lot to me, but it's open to interpretation. A dark spot could mean many different things. Uh, this happens to be a place in which we lost someone before, and it was a literal dark spot, literally on the road, where that's, we actually lost somebody. That's pretty interesting. But I, I could have not said that, and it could have just been maybe a shadow. And, and mm. this is the kind of thing that I think is really beneficial that veterans, and it can be done in painting, in songs, and we can use imagery to just touch on something rather than go that deep into something. Right, and you don't have to go that deep. I would invite you to go deep. I say, mm -hmm. I'm very curious about that. And you can decide what you want to do with my curiosity. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk to you about you know, the details of, of you know, classroom poetics. I'm not going to do that. I can, and if somebody wants that, I'm all over it. Good grief. I've got lots of education and experience in that. But what, I, what I'm after is the heart of it. And that dark spot felt like the heart of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, I'd like to know more about that. And I think that's, it's, it's really interesting because, yes, it was a heart, the, the heart of it, right? It was the primary thing and everything else around it and the road and, and everything all else. All real interesting and worthy of exploration, mm -hmm. by the way. But in your experience, that was the core of the experience that I was trying to communicate. Right. And so what I might say to you is that maybe we take that dark spot and one way we handle it is to walk through your senses. So when you think about that dark spot, you know, so we're going to try to drum up some material. So I'll say, you know, what did it taste like? What did it smell like? What did it sound like? What did it feel like? You know, what did it look, look like? And walk through the five senses and you go, oh, hmm, huh. And you'll write about that for a while and maybe you'll find something else that you want to work in. And maybe it's not a revision of this poem. Maybe it's another poem. And that's all good. It's just all getting it out. And, and following the trail, I mean, in a way, you left yourself some breadcrumbs there. And I picked one up and said, what's in this one? You know, and that's how we go. And if people want to share, if we're, if we're um, in a workshop and people want to share, excellent. We have three ways of responding to poems in Poetry Yields. You clap your hands, you snap your fingers, or you do jazz hands. And that's it. 
because words always get you in trouble when you're in an evaluation mode, so we just don't do it. And you're going to get celebrated for just doing the work. And I think that's in, in really people want people to know their stories, right? And this is one thing I've learned uh, as a clinician is veterans want people to know their stories. Well, at the same time, there's a paradox and there's no way you're gonna get me to tell you that story, right? So both of those things are true. And, and maybe creative expression, poetry, you know, like you said, macrame or painting or singing or interpret whatever, these are safe ways to be able to do that and maybe somebody's listening and be like, well, I wouldn't go that far as, as you were giving me the opportunity to go, but you don't have to. Well, and I think it's helpful to get whatever it is. You know, you have that dark spot and you spent some time with that dark spot and it's not a happy place, but you're okay with that dark spot. You've got a spot for it. But if you have a dark spot and you haven't taken it out to air it out and rinse it off, that's not healthy, man. I mean, that can develop into something else, right? So you, I ask people to take those dark spots out and air them out a little bit and look at them. And just that act can help change your relationship with that thing that scared you or hurt you or whatever. But also, we help people pull out beautiful things. It's not all gloom and doom. And so... You know, here's a, you know, maybe it's, we'll do a poem about, well, we start every workshop with everybody just kind of free writing about what are you grateful for? What have you seen that's beautiful? And kind of bring everybody in the room. And so, you know, I saw a beautiful smile on my daughter's face. Oh, let's write about that. You know, let's go after that. Because there's a heart connection there. You can have heart connections to anything. And so Poetry Heals is a, a shocking amount of laughter and carrying on. Um, and so sometimes people paint beautiful pictures with their words. And that's what they want to do today. Excellent. You know, that's good. That's good. Veterans have had experiences that I will never understand. And um, I'm not trying to ride on their coattails or vicariously experience their, their drama or trauma or glory. I'm a place where you can, a really safe place to explore what's going on and what's making you nuts. And today, what's making you nuts may be your job and may have nothing to do with mm -hmm. the military. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you write about. So it's not all, let's go, you know, I mean, there are writing projects where people want to um, valorize military service. And they're, they're, they're really interesting collections of poems and all that. And there's a place for that. And if somebody wants to write um, a very patriotic, flag-waving poem, more power to them. That's fine, too. In fact, the only rule in Poetry Heals is there aren't very many rules. <laughs> you treat people in the room with respect. That's the rule. 
Yeah, I really appreciate uh, the work that you're doing. Thank you. Um, I think it is very valuable. And again, it, it is an adjunct, I believe, to actual clinical therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I first met, you mentioned it a couple times before, the military arts connection. And Poetry Heals is a part of that. Uh, how is that sort of uh, partnership work? Um, also, where can people find out more about what you're doing or some of the things that you have going on? Well, um I'll start at the end. Most of the Poetry Heals experiences are not public, because, like, who's going to do that, right? But we do have Poetry and Pottery, which is a big project. We, for six, seven weeks this summer, every Tuesday afternoon, we'll be there, come play with Clay, write some poems, eat some soup. It's um, fun, free, and uh, in the shade. (laughs) Um, And that was intended in part to kind of make connections with all the layers of Manitou to help solve a civic problem with an artistic response that we, you know, had we had some issues with homeless people and we have fewer of them now. And I can't say cause and effect, but it did happen. Um, we do some public things. Um, we're hoping to do some public things with the Fine Arts Center this summer. They have a program called The City is the, Our Venue, as a venue, and they're doing um, performances at community centers and having some hands-on arts experiences because you can't, not very many people can come into the Fine Arts Center, but they can go out and they're going to have some wonderful uh, theater and music stages near the Fine Arts Center in the downtown, but they're also going out into other communities. Mostly we work with hosting institutions. And some of those institutions are veteran-focused. So for the veteran-focused organizations, um, the Military Arts Connection is built as a bridge, literally, from your organization to people like me and organizations like mine. And so artists put, um, it's all on a website, militaryartsconnection.org, I'm pretty sure. And they list who's doing what. They have singing lessons and they have pottery and photography and various things with fabric and weaving and dyeing and all kinds of arts experiences. And so a counselor can say, I think this person would benefit or this person wants to learn how to sing. You can go to that website and see who's available. Now the counselor has to do some training and the artist has to do some training. So we're all kind of working on the same, you know, so we're all getting on the same bridge, you know, and it works out uh, pretty well. I'll get a, um, an email, so-and-so would like to work with you. I contact so-and-so. If we make the connection, then um, the Military Arts Connection pays for all the services. They have a, a, a way of paying. We, the artists determine what they think they ought to get paid, and the Military Arts Connection um, has a, a, a rate sheet, and it all works out. So when the veteran, for instance, that I work with talks to his counselor and says, yep, I'm ready to keep working with uh, Poetry Heals, she can approve, you know, a session or sometimes in groups of sessions and then we are free to work together when we can work that out and both parties report back I mean it's a very well-oiled machine with lots of feedback and lots of data and it's part of the um, 
uh, a collaboration between the Department of Defense and the National Endowment of the Arts. And I believe there's going to be an intrepid center at Fort Carson. Mm -hmm. It's underway. But part of that is this creative forces, which is within the Army. And I've actually provided Poetry Heals workshops for creative forces artists, art therapists from Alaska to Massachusetts. It was a great workshop because online you can go anywhere. So the military arts connection is local. There are things like it elsewhere, but this was designed specifically for this area. And you can find out more by talking to um, Andy Vick at um, the Pikes Peak Cultural, uh, the Cultural Office of the Pikes Peak Region and at uh, the militaryartsconnection.org. And if people want to find out more about what you're doing, it's poetryheals.org. Poetryheals.org. Thank you very much for coming oh, on the show today. this has been so much fun. I'm happy to reach out. I'm glad to have the opportunity to spread poems. It's a good year for poetry. It is a good year. <laughs> I hope that you appreciated my conversation with Molly and share my appreciation for the work that she's doing in our community. On today's Homefront Military Network resource segment, I'm glad to share a Homefront Military Network partner that supports the military family, Angels of America's Fallen. Over 16,000 children have lost their military or first responder parents since 9-11-2001. These children are at greater risk of anxiety, depression, substance abuse, dropping out of school, and even suicide after the traumatic loss of their parent. None of us want to lose a single child because their parent made the ultimate sacrifice for our country and community. Angels of America's Fallen is there to help and support children throughout the entire childhood while they have to grow up without the support and guidance of their hero. Angel's mission is to encourage and fund healthy, positive activities for the children of fallen firefighters, military, and law enforcement. Between grief counseling and scholarships others provide, Angel's stands behind the children all year, every year, until adulthood. Angels of America's Fallen is a national 501c3 nonprofit organization headquartered in Colorado Springs and founded by Joe Lewis, a retired lieutenant colonel with 25 years of service as an enlisted Army field artillery cannon crew member, a Marine Corps fighter pilot, and an Air Force reconnaissance pilot. Having lost friends in each service and seeing how young their children were, Lewis recognized a crucial gap in the support being provided to these children who had just lost one of their biggest mentors. With the mentoring of his own sons being the biggest concern if he should not return from one of his missions, Lewis felt the need to reach out and help provide mentoring and developmental opportunities that matched each child's individual interests and needs. Angels of America's Fallen was designed to offer positive outlets such as engaging children in healthy activities like sports, music, and other arts for the children's grief during the entire period of their most crucial developmental years. Angels staff and board consist of individuals with a passion to help children in the most impactful way. That's to provide them an opportunity, not a handout or a gift, but a chance to invest in themselves and pursue healthy activities during their entire childhood. Angels encourages children to try as many activities as needed to find a passion that fits them at their current stage of development and to change their activity if their interests vary while they grow. They support the children and families through a long-term commitment to see them engaged all year, every year, all the way through 18 years old without having to reapply. Angels pays for the activities, but their support is much more than just writing checks. They follow up to encourage the children and share in celebrating their successes throughout each year. The Angels Voices program allows children and surviving spouses to tell their stories and help others who are in similar situations. 
There is healing in helping, and the Voices participants grow and heal as they speak at conferences, fundraising events, and performances across the country to raise awareness about the issues facing children who've lost a parent in service to our country. Their peer support program helps connect widowed spouses to support one another as they redefine family life after their traumatic loss. Through shared life experiences and circumstances, peers are better able to establish relationships of trust and support with those in need of assistance. Angels also provides intakes and referrals, outreach, and individualized person-centered case management, allowing parents and children to set goals for success and determine challenge points, utilizing a strengths-based, trauma-informed approach. Angels provides over 1,300 activity sessions per month for children nationwide and have provided over 100,000 sessions in total. Angels Children and Families report a 96% rate of self-confidence, 100% rate of satisfaction with the Angels program, and 100% of them have indicated that the program realized the child's passion through participation in sports, music, or the arts. Once accepted into their program, Angels will cover the cost of each child's activity or passion up to the annual limit all the way through age 18. Angels supports children in activities such as aquatic sports, dance, gymnastics, musical arts, football, lacrosse, martial arts, and more. Angels serves children of fallen military, law enforcement, firefighters, and paramedics who gave all while actively serving are deceased from non-combat causes, including training accidents, suicide, and death from an illness while on injury, or are diagnosed with service-connected PTSD and subsequently die by suicide after their separation from their respective service. Special cases are considered, so if someone doesn't feel that their spouse's death meets the above criteria but might still be eligible, it is strongly encouraged to contact Angels so they may consider the case. As a nonprofit, Angels is dependent on the goodwill of donors and supporters, so they can't necessarily make projections about when they will be able to enroll a child. However, they are consistently working to raise funds to support as many children as possible. Angels will fully enroll children for services from the waiting list on a first-come, first-served basis. If you or someone you know has a child of our fallen, you can register them online at aoafallen.org forward slash register. Angels of America's Fallen is completely supported by individual donors, corporate and organizational donors, and grants. They desperately need your financial support to grow and continue accepting more children of America's finest into their program. Find out how you can stand with Angels of America's Fallen by going to aoafallen.org or by emailing hello at aoafallen.org. With your help, Angels of America's Fallen can continue fueling these kids' dreams beyond the ultimate loss. So thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. It would be great to hear your feedback. I'd like to answer any questions you might have or know what you'd like to hear about. What topics about military and veteran mental health are you interested in? Send me an email at militarymind at fccsprings.com and there's a chance that we'll discuss it on an upcoming show. I'd also like to remind you that the information provided on this show is for informational purposes only. While I am a licensed mental health professional, I am not your licensed mental health professional. If what we discussed on this episode brings up any concerns for you, it is highly recommended that you consult with a licensed mental health professional. Stay tuned for another great show next week and until then, remember, you're not alone.
ever. Family Care Center is a comprehensive outpatient behavioral health clinic providing critical mental health support to service members, veterans, family members, and our local community. Family Care Center focuses on the mental health and wellness of those who have served our country's military by providing best in-class evidence-based therapy, medication management, and transcranial magnetic stimulation. Family Care Center's clinical staff is dedicated to meeting every client's outpatient behavioral health care needs. This is Dr. Chuck Weber, inviting you to learn more at fcsprings.com. Family Care Center, our family, caring for your family. You've been listening to Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families. Sponsored by Family Care Center, Behavioral Health Services. Our family, caring for your family. fcsprings.com. Tune in every Saturday at 11 a.m. for Inside the Military Mind on KPPF. And listen to the Companion Podcast on Podbean. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.